And we are starting a brand new series. And, and so we try to fit these series in. It's kind of like, you know, the, the early church used what was called a liturgy. And so they, would, they had a calendar, and they still do that. The traditional church has a liturgy and a calendar that they go by. And, um, and so people's, people's calendars have changed a little bit. And so we try to place these series around things that are going on in your life. And so it seems to fit that, you know, Valentine's Day weekend, we start a relationship series. And so we're going to call it Love Busters. And that's uh, not a title I came up with. It's actually from a book by a guy named William Harley. He's a doctor. He's a psychologist, and uh, he's a really good psychologist. So he's been practicing for decades, and he has a practice in Minnesota. And at one point, it had gotten so large, he had 100 counselors that were working underneath him. And so he has decades of counseling experience with people, but also with couples. And he found in his experience six things that he calls love busters, six things that just break down relationships, break down the love in the relationship. This is with, you know, in marriages, but this is in partnerships. This is in friendships. This is in family relationships. We have these books. You can take one when you leave. We have them for sale. If you don't have any money, just take one. It's on me. Uh, it's a great book, an amazing book. The book is written mostly for, uh, towards marriages, but this series is not going to be just about, um, you know, the marriage relationship. This is going to be a, a broad stroke here. We're going to talk about um, all relationships. And I've found that I'm, I'm, I'm finding that relationships are one of the most critical components of our lives. Everything that we do is involved or connected to some type of relationship. And I, I want to say over the last two years that there's been more strain on relationships than there's ever been before. Right? Relationships have just been put in a pressure cooker. When you lock people and tell them they can't come out of their house for months, come on, somebody, right? That, that, you start not liking people, you know? Like you, uh, and then not only that, there's just everything that you do has gotten harder. It's just under a lot of stress on, at, on, at, at work, at school. And, and so relationships have just been strained. And, and so I, I want to, over the next few weeks, go through this series together. And my prayer is that... You know, the God that created relationships can cure them. And I believe God can heal any relationship in your life. I believe that. No matter how broken it may seem, no matter how bad it, it, it is, and no matter how easy it would be to just walk away and give up, I believe that God can still work a miracle in any relationship that you have. He can cure it. He, he's, he's the great physician. He's got medicine for when it comes to relationships. And the most famous chapter on love is 1 Corinthians 13. And I've read this chapter um, at every wedding I've ever officiated. That's like my one thing that I will not, you know, that's like my deal breaker. I, I used to work with a guy at uh, Pepsi. I worked there for a little bit. And he was an atheist. And he would give me a hard time. Like he would he'd see me reading my Bible on my lunch break and stuff and say, man, that's a, what are you doing? That's a joke. He, he, would, he would just, just kind of pick on me about it. Anyways, a few years later, he gets engaged, and he, wants, he asked me to do his wedding. And I said, well, <laughs> I'll do it, but I'm going to have to pray and, and read Scripture. And he said, fine, you can do that. And so, and so I read uh, 1, Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 13. And that's the only one he let me get in there. But um, it's, so, it's very famous, very famous. Few, we're we're going to stick in really four verses. 
1 Corinthians chapter 13, verses 4 through 8. And I'm gonna, let's, let's read it together. I'm going to be reading out of the New International Version. And it says, Love is patient. Love is kind. It doesn't envy. It does not boast. It's not proud. It's not rude. It's not self-seeking. It's not easily angered. And it keeps no record of wrongs. Man, I wish, that was, I wish it was that easy, huh? Love does not delight in evil, but it rejoices with the truth. It always protects. It always trusts. It always hopes. It always perseveres. Love never fails. Can we get an amen for the word of God this morning? And so I just really noticed this, reading this verse at every single wedding I've ever, I've ever officiated, it refers more to what love doesn't do. And in those four verses, he gives several things that love does not do. And that's what the, that Dr. Harley calls love busters. And I, I want to just use an illustration because, I don't know, it's, I like illustrations. Do I have any, uh, I, we've got the best mullet fishermen in, in the southeast United States in here this morning. <laughs> Pat, Pasco Gibson, but anybody ever went fishing with a net like this? Ever thrown a net? And so this is, this is, um, I'm not very good at it, but uh, this is a mullet net. This is, a, or you can catch all kinds of fish with this net. It's got weights on the end, but if you've done any fishing in your life in, with a net, you know that a lot of times you're going after certain fish, but you get others that you don't want, Right? And so when you're throwing this net, you throw it, first off, you're going to get wet. You're, everything that's on the net gets on you, right? And the way I throw it, I put, put it in my mouth. And so now it's like you got all this, you know, you got stuff, you know, it's just, it's not the most glamorous type of fishing. But one thing I've found, which I'm, I mean, the master is in here, so I'm not even going to act like I know how to do this very well. But I do know that you've got to constantly be pulling stuff out of this net. Every time you throw the net, something's going to get stuck in it that shouldn't be there. Rocks, debris, you might get a fish in there that you don't want, right? You're, you're going after mullet, and you get some kind of, they call it trash fish. That's the fish you can't eat. you got to throw it back. And I think when it comes to this series, what I want you to see this as is these are things, these six love busters are things that if we allow them in our relationships and when they, we allow them in our life, it's going to keep us from being able to throw our net. We're going to, be, we're going to have to stop fishing. And I want to go through them with you because they're all right there. They're all right there in 1 Corinthians 13. The first one is just selfish demands. That's a love buster, right? Selfishness is the number one killer of relationships. Marriages, partnerships, friendships. It's, it's my way or the highway, right? And if you can't see it my way... Don't let the door hit you on the way out. Come on, somebody. Selfish demands. That's a, that's a love buster. That's something that we want to be looking for in our relationships, and we want to get them out. We want to pull those out of the nets. Uh, the second thing is angry outbursts, right? That's the ticking time bomb. You all know who that is. Don't, if you're with that person, don't look over at them. But you've worked with this person. You knew it was building up, and at some point they were going to blow up. Right? You, just, you knew it was coming. Just these angry, angry outbursts. That's a, that's a love buster. We don't want that. The third thing, dishonesty. Dishonesty. Nothing can thrive. You can't build anything on dishonesty. 
And so we're constantly trying to get to the truth in our relationships. We're constantly speaking the truth and love to each other. Why? So that we can pull out this stuff out of our nets because it's hurting us. It's, 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 it's not good. We don't want that. Here's, here's a, the fourth one, disrespectful judgments, right? This is the critic. They can remember when you messed up 27 years ago and exactly what you said and what you were wearing when you said it and where you were going when you said it. Come on, right, right? But, but just judgmental, like, like you know, it's, Paul said something about not keeping record of wrongs, but I, I don't know. We're going to talk about this. These are stuff that we don't want in our relationships. Now, here's, a, here's one that you don't really think about, but it's there. Just annoying habits. The leaky faucet, right? Imagine if there's an annoying habit in your, part, your spouse and you don't tell them about it. You're going to have to deal with that annoying, annoying habit for like 40,000 hours. I mean, it's insane. If you look at the lifespan of a marriage and you project that over time. And, and so this is why we just speak the truth in love. This is why we just, you know, love confronts. Love has the difficult conversations. It, it tells you when there's spinach in your teeth. It tells you when you have bad breath. It tells you when you got a pretty bad habit that everybody sees, but nobody's willing to sit down and tell you about it. We want to pull these out of our nets, out of the relationships. And then here's the last one, independent behavior. I'm just going to do my own thing. I'm going to do my own thing. I know we got a partnership here. I know we made an agreement. We signed a covenant, but you're going this way, I'm going that way, and I'm just going to do my own thing. Or I'm just going to do what I want. I'm not going to tell you about it. It's getting quiet in here right now. So, yeah, it's getting really quiet. And, and so love busters are things that's going to, that'll 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 break down our nets. We won't be able to fish. It's going to affect all of our relationships. And so we want to pull those out of our lives. And so how do we do that? I think the Bible is really clear about that. I, I love how Paul mentions every single one of these in 1 Corinthians 13. And in the book, Love Busters, if you get the book, he doesn't quote that verse in it at all, but just through his experience of sitting with people and looking at what breaks up relationships, he found those six things at the very top. It's amazing to me. And so I want to go through those over the next several weeks. And so what happens, you know, really, I think the first thing is, how do we define love and what is it? Is it a feeling? Right? Is it, is it, I've heard that, that love is, is like, it's like a wagon. You hop on it and you can fall off of it at any point, right? I fell in love and then I fell on love. I fell off love, right? Is it a feeling? Is love an emotion? I mean, how do you define love? And so this group of professionals, they got... They got a, a, a group of four to six-year-olds together. This is good. This is worth coming to church this morning. If you don't hear anything else, you're going to like this. And they sat them down, and they asked them, if we could put this up on the screen. I want you all to see this. What is love? They, they asked them to define what love was. This is Billy, age four. He said, when someone loves you, the way they say your name is different. You just know that your name is safe in their mouth. That's pretty good. Here's, here's Terry, age four. She said, love is what makes you smile when you're tired. That's pretty good. Love is when my mommy makes coffee for my daddy, and she takes a sip before giving to it, giving it to him just to make sure it tastes okay. That's Danny, age seven. Love is what's in the room with you at Christmas if you stop opening presents and listen. Isn't this good, y'all? Bobby, age seven. There's more. I got, we got to read all these. If you want to learn to love better, you should start with a friend you hate. 
That's Nikki, age six. Love is when you tell a guy you like his shirt, and then he wears it every day. That's <laughs> Noel. Oh, man. Love is when mommy gives daddy the best piece of chicken. Come on, somebody. Fried chicken, y'all. Mm. It'll change your life. Love is when mommy sees daddy smelly and sweaty and still says he is more handsome than Robert Redford. That's Chris. Love is when your puppy licks your face even after you left him alone all day. Man, that's good. I know my older sister loves me because she gives me all of her clothes and has to go out and buy new ones. Here's the best one. Love is when mommy sees daddy on the toilet and she doesn't think it's gross. <laughs> I had somebody tell me, that's when you know you've been married a long time. When you can be on, she can be on the toilet and you're shaving and you're in the same room. That's true love right there. <laughs> but how does the Bible define love? How does the Bible define love? Well, there's, there's, four, there's four Greek words for our one word love, right? We have the same word for everything. If you love puppies, if you love your spouse, if you love fishing or surfing, it's just one word. Well, in the, in the New Testament, it's written in Greek, and so they had four different words. And so I want to give those to you. The, the first one is storge, and that basically means natural affection. That's the love you have for your family. It's empathetic love. It's the love you have when you see your child. It's the love you have for your mom and your dad. It's, it's, it's familial love. It's family love. The second type of love is called phileo. This is brotherly love. Where we, you know, Philadelphia is known as the city of brotherly love. Well, that word phileo is a Greek word, and it means it's friendship. It's the love you have for your friends. This is a love that you have to work on. I don't think we're just born naturally with this love. There's some people that just don't want any friends, right? you got to love your family, don't you? But then friends is something that you develop. So this is, a, a, this is the love that you have for your friends. The third one is eros. And this is like romantic love. This is that Valentine's Day love. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> this is uh, the, the chocolates and roses. And this is the love you, you share. This is romantic love. And then the fourth type of love, which is what Paul is referring to here every time he mentions the word love in 1 Corinthians 13, is agape. And that means unconditional love. That's the love of God. That's the love of God that's kind of alien to our world because we don't naturally have it. We're not naturally born with it. That's the kind of love that loves through the good, the bad, and the ugly. That's the kind of love that is outside of circumstances. That's the kind of love that loves, loves you at your best, and loves you at your worst. That's the kind of love that sees his son coming back from blowing all his money, right? The, the prodigal son, blowing all his dad's money, and he was sitting out in the field waiting on him to come home. I don't know what you did, son. I don't need to know. You're in the family. You're mine. I love you. Now, this is the kind of love that the world needs. This is the kind of world that we're called to demonstrate in our relationships, not just in our marriages, not just in our partnerships, but in everybody that we interact with. God has called us to love this way. And, and I know that you probably already know this. It is so hard to do. Because <laughs> one of the big things that gets in the way is selfishness. I mean, I think my son's like third word that he learned was mine. And no. 
like mine mine right right like it's just part of our dna like we we want to keep stuff we want to protect stuff it's really hard to to live open-handedly it's really hard to live unselfishly especially when the world says that that's the way you make it to the top you keep what's yours you don't share it right i heard a story about a couple they were married for you know decades and the, the husband was known as a, just a selfish man. He was just mean. He was a businessman. He made a lot of money, had several big companies. And he went to the doctor, and he got a bad diagnosis. The doctor said, you're dying. And he said, well, I have one last wish, and I want to make sure that my family knows this. I want to be buried with everything that I have, all my money. And so he went home, and the doctor was like, you sure about that? Uh, so he went home, and he told his wife that. I'm dying, and I want everything. I want to be buried with all the money. It's mine. I earned it. It's my company's. And so that, you know, that, that was a little bit of a riff. And he died. And so at the funeral, his wife is down on the front row. And at, when the preacher got done, she got up and she had a little shoebox and she put it in the casket with him. And the pastor asked what it was. And he, she said, well, he asked for all of his money to be given to him. He wanted to be buried with it. He said, I thought this man was wealthy. She's like, well, I wrote him a check, and if he can cash it, he can have it. <laughs> so, anyways, you can't take it with you, right? Selfishness never pays off in the end. So the Bible says a lot about selfishness. Now, this is going to be a sandpaper series. And what I mean by that is this is, going to, this is a tough one. You know, we're looking at things that were in our own self that we want to take out of our relationships because we all had the tendency to have all of these things. And the Bible is really clear about how selfishness is a poison. James chapter 3, verse 16, it says, Where you have envy and selfishness, there you are going to find disorder and every evil practice. We see this every four years, Right? Come on, somebody. We see this when the red and the blue start riding out towards each other, to, you know, in the election cycle, and it's just cutthroat. It's evil, right? There's things being said that you, you just wouldn't think you'd ever hear anyone say. They're pulling up dirt from when people were nine years old, right? You know, like it's, 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 a, it's a rallying for the same role or the same position. And the Bible says when this is involved in a relationship, it poisons the well. Nobody wins. I mean, and it didn't say there's just evil involved. It says every evil work. That the enemy's playground is in this world that we know is selfishness. And so how do we counteract it? Again, now, that, you know, buckle your seatbelt. Put your tray table up. These are hard verses. Philippians 2, verse 3. I think this is some of the best few verses that we have on selfishness. Because one of the things that Jesus did when he came to this earth is I think he came to inject humility into our lives. Because he left everything, right? He left heaven. He left this perfect world to come down and put on a body like ours and to be mocked and to be ridiculed. He spent most of his life, you know, in a, you know running a business. And if you run a business, you know how mean people are. Right? He was a carpenter. And then for a few short years, he has his ministry, three years, and then they kill him. He's crucified by the people that he came with this message from heaven for. 
But I have to believe that the one thing that marks Jesus and this man and his ministry was humility. He went to the broken. He went to the person that was hurting the most. That's where you would find him. He could have sat with the leaders. He could have sat with right, the Pharisees and the Sadducees, all these folks that were running the show during that time, all the kings and the princes. Everybody wanted this. They wanted a moment with him. And he said, no, I didn't come for y'all. I came for the lowly. I came for the hurt. I came for the broken. And, and Philippians, let's read it together. Philippians 2, verse 3. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but rather in humility. Somebody say humility. Value others above yourselves. How, how backwards is that to our culture right now? Could you imagine what a church would look like? If, what a family would look like if that was their motto. I'm going to value you above myself. What would a company look like, your company, if that was the motto of every person? I'm, I'm coming for a paycheck. I need that. I need the insurance. But really, I'm here to value others above myself. This is, this is tough. Not looking at your own interests, interests, but each of you to the interests of others. And your relationships with one another have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in the very nature of God did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant being made in human likeness. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even the death on a cross. Now, this is hard. These are hard verses, I know. But what I love about the Bible, what I love about Jesus, is it wasn't just the message that he preached. He didn't go around telling people to be humble and then said, hey, I want you all to serve my needs. Right? I want to roll in on a Bentley on Palm Sunday. You know what I'm saying? Like, I want everybody to see me. I want everybody to know who I am. He didn't do that. His message lined up with the model that he lived. And the model that he lived was he was a man of humility. He was someone that, that took the blame. He was someone that took the pain. He was someone that, that even when he was right, and even when he had everything, really, he did nothing wrong, he, he stayed silent. So how do we live that way? It's, it's, I know this is, this is a hard message this is a message that I've got to preach to myself constantly. Because I think, you know, I, I want to believe that the whole world revolves around Nathan Pooley. You know, anybody else know anyone like that? Or maybe you've felt that in your own life? That, that the whole world just is about me, it's about mine, it's about what I need, it's about my needs. But what Christianity, Christianity did is it just took that and it flipped it around. And it said if you want to be the greatest, then the greatest is going to, is going to be a servant to all. That the greatest is going to consider the needs of others first. And the greatest is going to be the one washing feet. So how do we do this? I'm going to just three questions I think that, that we can ask ourselves to, to cultivate this, this attitude of humility. The first one is, how can I add value to the people in my life? I think right now there's the big, the big theme is, is what can I get from you? Right? Everybody's trying to sell something to you. There's billboards, there's advertising, your phone's blinging and dinging all day long, and everybody's got an advertisement for you because they're trying to get something from you. But what if we flipped it around? What if we truly made it our, our, our goal? And I know you can't live this every day, but who can I bless today? 
that guy at the job that I'm so annoyed with that he just he's just like as you know he's just always talking he's always complaining he's always putting people down how can I bless that guy because the love of God this agape love not only does it tell us to treat the people that we like with respect it says that your enemies that we're supposed to love them so how do we add value to the people in our life the best advice that I've ever been given on how do I add value to people in my life is we believe in them. You just believe in them. Sometimes it's just speaking encouragement, speaking the word over somebody. I know you're angry, but I'm going to lay hands on you. No, 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 no. But, but just speaking, believing in people, adding, I mean, we add value with our words. We add value with the way that we talk to people and the way that we treat people. But I think our life will really change. One of the things that happens when we, when we ask this question, how can I add value to people? It immediately takes the focus off of ourselves. And so now it's no longer about what I need. It's no longer about what I want. It's about how can I add value to the people in my life. And I think the other way that we can do this is we can unconditionally love people. Now, I'm a big believer in boundaries. So I'm not saying that you need to tolerate abuse. I'm not saying that you need to just let people take advantage of you all the time. That is not what I'm saying. I'm a big fan of Henry Cloud. He's got a book called Boundaries. I think it's incredible. But I do believe that God has called us to love people. You see what I think unconditional love does? It doesn't give people what they deserve. It gives people what they need. And how many times have you been caught red-handed and what you deserved was jail? Or what you deserved was judgment. Or what you deserved was, was a reaction because you were in the wrong. And somebody reached out and loved you unconditionally. He said, I know, I'm gonna, I know you did this. I know you're wrong. I know, but I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to cover you. And this is the kind of love that the world, this is what we're supposed to be known for as Christians. And it, and it hurts my heart to see how really in the church sometimes you'll find some of the meanest people. I mean, mean as a run-over dog, you know what I'm saying? Just, I mean, mean as a snake. Like, I mean, I, I mean, maybe you've never met that person, but just don't want to talk to you, don't want to see you, right? You're in their pew. You need to get out of the way. And Jesus said, they're going to know you're my disciple by how many, you know, Bible badges you got. You know, they're going to know you're my disciple because you, every time the doors are open to the church, you're there and you've got your name on a pew. Mm-mm. So they're going to know that you're my disciple by the way that you treat people, by the way that you love. And this is hard to do. So how do I, how do I add value to the people in my life? John Maxwell gave three things that he does to try to add value to people's life. He calls it the 30-second rule. And he says, just say something affirmative to them within 30 seconds. Try, try that. When somebody asks you how your day is going... Respond with something positive. Just try that. Like, actually, I sat in traffic the whole time. My, I don't have enough money for lunch, and my dog barked all night, and I got no sleep. Right? Try, try to flip it around. You know what? I'm having a great day. That's a great shirt you got on, right? You know, like, just, just try to flip it around. I know this seems so simple, but say something affirmative. Affirm them within the first 30 seconds. It's amazing what that will begin to do. The second thing he said to do is just be the first to help. You know who your real friends are when you move, your house, when you move out of your house, right? 
When you buy a new house, you know who your real friends are because they're going to show up with a truck and a dolly. But the way that we just add value to people is just be the first to help. I know this sounds so simple, but be the first to help. The third thing he said is just do something for others that they cannot do for themselves. Now think about that in your life. Think about the people that have done that for you in your life. That they blessed you with something that you couldn't afford. I remember, I'll never forget this. I was 17 years old. I was so broke. I'd go to Papa. I'd go to KFC and lick other people's fingers. You know what I'm saying? Like, I couldn't afford nothing. I was broke as a joke. And my car broke down. The car that my mom gave me. And somebody in the church just gave me a truck. They said, hey, I felt like God told me that I'm supposed to, supposed to give you this truck. And I'll, I'll never forget that. Even today, the most generous people I know in my life are in this church. The most generous people I've ever met in my life are sitting in this church. And they don't give out of, out of you know, like somebody's holding their arm behind their back. They give generously. They give because God leads them to give. And I'm finding that when, when, when that happens to you, at some point, God might put you in a place in your life where you can do that for somebody else. It could be as simple as just blessing the socks off your waitress. Because you know she's probably, she's working hard and that job, that whole world right now, our waiter, is such a stressful environment right now. It's hard to find people. The ones that are working, some of them are having to work multiple jobs to get by. And, 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 and I mean, just, just, just try that. I'm going to just write a big old honking tip on this check just for no reason because I want to I bless you. I mean, just, just doing something for someone that they can't do for themselves. How can I add value to people? The second thing, it's so quiet in here right now. How can I serve the needs of the people in my life? How can I serve the needs of the people in my life? And I think the first way that we do that is we just find out what they are. A couple of years ago, when we, the church was kind of just, you know, just starting to form, and we had a few staff, and you know, there were some disagreements that we were having, and, and, and again, I, I borrowed this from somebody, <laughs> but I asked them to write down what they expected out of me as their leader and as their pastor. What were their needs? How could I, how could I serve them? What did they expect out of me? Did they, you know, and I, I was blown away by how simple it was. They just wanted me to love my life and family well, right? Walk it, you know, and talk it and walk it. That was number one. The second one was bring it on Sundays, you know, and, and then the third one was just, just to be available when they are going through a crisis. And I was trying to do all this other stuff, right? And I think, like, let's break it down a little more to, to a marriage relationship. One, one of the things that I will do in premarital counseling is we go through this, this um, it's called prepare and enrich. I'll go through it with these couples. I love doing this. And so they get asked a bunch of questions, and then we come together and we meet. And, and so they look, we look at these you know, hundreds of questions, and we look at where they disagree. It's fun. <laughs> and so I, I, get to, I, get, I get the report, and I see all the places where you know, she answered this, and he answered this, and this, is, this, is gonna be a, you know, this is, could be a landmine. You know, so let's, let's talk about this. But one of the things I encourage them to do is, is, is I'll separate them, and I'll say, write five things down that your spouse can do to meet your needs and then I want you to write five ways that you can meet your spouse's needs and a lot of times they don't know and I think just doing that how do I serve the needs of the people in my life well sometimes it's just trying to find out 
What's going on? It's communication. It's talking. It's how can I serve you? It's just, because a lot of times needs will change, but oftentimes it's just asking a, a, that simple question. is how, how, how can I help you? What's going on in your life? Where can I be a blessing for you? How can I serve your needs? It's incredible what that begins to do. And it takes humility. I know this is so hard, y'all. I mean, this is, again, I am preaching to the choir. I do not have this mastered. But Tim Keller, he defines humility like this. He said, humility means I stop connecting every experience, every conversation with myself. And in fact, I stop thinking about myself. The freedom of self-forgetfulness. The blessed rest that only self-forgetfulness brings will change your life. Because I know for me, when I start getting in a bad mood and I start getting like a bad attitude, it's because I'm every, everything I'm doing is internal. I'm just looking at myself. I'm looking at my needs. I'm looking at what I need and what I don't have and what I feel like I should have. And, and one of the greatest ways to turn that, to just shut that voice down is to find a need and fill it. It's to find somebody that you can serve. That's why I'm so big about getting on the dream team here. I, 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 are, are serving anywhere. You know, it may not just be here, but I think everybody needs to serve in their life. Somewhere that, you're, somewhere that you're giving back, somewhere that you're doing something for someone and you're not expecting anything in return. You're not trying to get a favor. You're not trying to win them over. But I, I, I've got a place in my life where I'm just giving. Some people work, my mom works at the Waterfront Mission. It's incredible, the team that she has there. And, 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 and they just, I think they do that so well. And it's amazing what people do. They donate so many incredible things. And I think that some people serve. So to sell it on Craigslist, right, I'm going to bring it to Waterfront. I'm going to bless somebody else with it. There's the man of food pantry. We have people in our church that serve there, um, you know, quite a bit. And they, they feed the homeless. There's milk and honey. That's a ministry that we're connected with. That We have, a, um, we have an event coming up with them in, 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 in the next few weeks. But, but I'm, 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 there's some place in my life where I'm giving back. I'm serving. Man, it'll cure those relationships. And here's the third thing, and we're going to pray. How can I humble myself to see people the way that God does? Because I think that's where the disconnect really comes. When we really get into, where relationship really gets on the rocks, I think what begins to happen is we just highlight what's wrong. Right? Well, you're saying this and you're doing this. Or your actions are saying one thing and your words are saying another. We just, we highlight, we highlight what's wrong. And, and I'm not saying that that's always bad because I know part of relationships is we, we have to work things out and you got to have difficult conversations. But I think what Jesus did for me, and I know what he's doing for all of you, is he's seen us at our worst. But when he looked at us, he seen our best. He didn't see what was. He didn't see the mistakes. He didn't see the failures. And no matter what, you know, if you're over 10 years old in here, you've had a relationship go bad. <laughs> My son is, is five and he comes home sometimes and he's upset about some of the interactions he has at elementary school. There, so this is, just, this is just life. We interact with people. There's gonna be things that happen 
But God, can you give me the eyes to see people the way that you see them? Because I think humility, and this is we're going to close and we're going to pray. I don't think humility is something that we have in ourselves. I think humility can be a virtue and it can be a vice. The Bible talks about this, this false humility. And I think that this is something we absolutely have to ask God for. He says, clothe yourselves in humility. Ask me. Ask me. And if you have a relationship that's tense right now and, and, and it would just be easier to walk away, maybe before you do that, ask God to help you see the good in that person. Ask God to help you see maybe there's just something you're not seeing. Maybe you're blinded by, maybe, maybe you're bitter, maybe you're upset. Maybe, I, don't, I, don't, I don't know, but I know this. If you try to find humility in yourself, you won't find it. I think that's why Paul in Philippians writes about the humility of Christ and he talks about how it's a gift. It's something we ask for. It's something we pray for. It's something that it's supernatural. It's, it's a work of the Holy Spirit. He gives us the ability to endure things when it's not right and it's not fair. And it would be easier to leave and it would be easier just to give up. But I'm asking you if you could try one more time. I'm asking you if, if you can ask God, ask him for that love that, that, that's supernatural, the love that only comes from him. And Lord, help, help me to walk in humility. And that's so hard to do in the 21st century because it's so easy to fire shots at people now. And it's so easy to be mean. And, so, and I feel like people are just, maybe, have you noticed this? People are like, like they're just kind of angry. They're just, just, just mad. And, and I get it. The whole world's been through a lot. You know, it's been a long couple of years. But can the world look to the church and see humility in our lives? Can the world look to it? Can your friends look to you and see humility? And know that, you know what? I, you know, Jesus said the greatest love is this, is a man will lay his life down for his friend. And I think that's why we're here, y'all. I think that we're here to learn a lesson in love. I think we're here, and, and, and we can leave one relationship, and what happens is we find it in another, and it's just this love test that we keep taking over and over, where God will send somebody almost unlovable in your life and say, hey, I want you to love that guy, or I want you to love that girl, I want you to love that person. I know that they are crazy, and I, and I know that they have burnt 2,500 bridges they may have your last name, I don't know. So, but I want us to do this. Just bow your heads. And I want to, I want to just go to God and ask God. Because what humility does is it removes me from the sinner. And it puts God there. And so, Lord, we just come to you. First off, Lord, I just pray for every marriage in this room. I pray for every relationship, every son, every daughter, every father, every mother. The devil wants to break up relationships. He wants sons mad at dads. He wants mothers bitter at their children. He wants marriages to be torn apart because, because the family unit is a picture of you. So I just pray against the enemy right now in every person's life. 
I just pray against his work. I pray that it would be exposed. Wherever he's trying to sow division and wherever he's trying to sow disunity, wherever he's trying to sow strife and envy, we just speak against that. Lord, we just pray for your healing in the hearts of every person because I know a lot of you in here have been hurt by relationships. And it's hard to love again when your heart's been stomped on and it's hard to love again when somebody has taken advantage of you. And it's hard to love again when you've lived with a selfish person a long time. And it gets really hard to love. But Lord, can you give us grace this morning? Lord, can you clothe us in humility? Protect us, Lord. Holy Spirit, show us that person in our life that's maybe hard to love right now and we need to extend an olive branch to them. Just, I want bow your heads. Nobody's looking around. Just, Holy Spirit, who's, who's that person I need to call? I need to go to coffee with them. I've been putting this off too long. God, I just pray for your Holy Spirit, even in this moment, to give us the love that we need to be able to heal these relationships in our life, to walk in the joy and the peace that you meant for every relationship in our lives. We know that it's a miracle. We know that it comes from heaven. We know that we can't find humility in ourselves. We can't find this love in ourselves. We look to you. You are perfect. In the way that you loved people, you were perfect. In the way that you interacted, even with your enemies, you were perfect. You had all the power in the universe, but you restrained it so that you could love people well. God, help us to do that. Help us not to use all our power. Help us not to use all, all of our resources to fight. Lord, humble us. Help us to, to, to live in your peace. We just thank you. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Everybody said amen.